AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. All right, guys, I wrote down a rhyme to start the show. Inflation is down. Soybeans are up. Snowstorm is coming. We'll talk about that and more today on AgriTalk. Live with a little help from my friend via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk this afternoon. It's a conversation with Brian Split from agmarket.net. I'm handsome newsman Davis Michelson, and now filling in for Chip Flory from Standard Grain, Joe Vaklovic. Joe! See, Davis, the, the rhyme was a joke because it wasn't a rhyme. I mean, I guess part, no, none of it was a rhyme, actually, but it was, the, it, it was, a, it was an attempt at humor. The irony of not rhyming is the most ironic irony of all, if you ask me. See, me and you are artists, Davis. We understand these sorts of things. We are. But, you know, we're, for we're the non-artistic types. community, that's, it's, yeah. it's called, it's called art, guys. Look it up. This is, um, way, yeah, we're going way over people's heads now, I'm afraid. We might be. All right, we'll stop that. <laughs> so we had uh, kind of a mixed bag in the markets today. So I've been strong, Davis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Corn, corn, not kind of left us with uh, something to be desired here. Uh, had a nice looking start, finished the day lower. Uh, we had all the inflation stuff. That was kind of the big news for uh, most of the outside people. What do you think about well, that? Well, yeah, I mean that's that's great and everything. And I guess if if you're uh, if you're long cotton, you kind of liked it. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like we need to talk about corn at some point. Can we? Oh, can you can you pencil us in to talk about for, corn? Dude? Because what do you think I'm here for? I mean, that's what we're going to do. It was just a day of sass from the corn market. Yeah. It, you know, yeah, corn market was pretty sassy today. That's a good description. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, whatever. It's like it's... my middle child full of sass. <laughs> it's the middle child. You know, I have a middle brother, and he's, yeah. he always it's... accuses us of forgetting him. And yeah. I would say he's sassy name, also. I just don't re- let's see. I don't recall. <laughs> can't remember it. <laughs> um, so yeah, we had kind of a mixed bag in the grains, guys. Um, there was a big reaction to the inflation data, which was cooler than expected, and we'll talk about that with Brian here a little bit. But uh, long story short, the bond market was up sharply, which means interest rates are down sharply. The U.S. dollar is down sharply, which is uh, kind of an indication in the in the eyes of some people, Davis, that uh, maybe the Fed will be a little bit less aggressive with these rate hikes. We've got a Fed meeting; uh, it's going on today, as a matter of fact. And tomorrow. So, I mean, that was your probably your big news today for like uh, most of the markets. Do you want to get into the other news? Well, sure. Let's start at wheat, where futures extended Monday's gains as the U.S. dollar index drops to a five and a half month low and strengthened crude oil spurred continued corrective buying and short covering. Wheat producing areas in the southeastern plains may receive some rain and snow early next week, according to World Weather Inc., Greater snow cover will be needed to protect crops later this month due to an expected Arctic air mass that could send temperatures dropping below zero in central and northern areas. But, Joe, by the end of the day, wheat futures had fallen back from early session highs. March HRW wheat futures, three cents higher, rate 65 and a quarter. March soft red wheat down four cents, 7.50 and three quarters. March spring wheat closed at 9.22 and three quarters. Up six and one half cents today at one point up double digits. And now we've what got was the that March last letter of, of, of SR, SR what wheat was it? 
Uh, soft red wheat down four, seven fifty and three quarters. <laughs> I thought you like said the W wrong. Uh, oh, wheat, I did. I did. HR double. Yeah, no, double he, double def- he, he definitely did. Um, yeah. yeah. So wheat's come down $5 a bushel from the spring highs and then it rallies, you know, 40 cents and people think mm-hmm. it's a big deal. It's not, it's just, <clears throat> I don't know if I'd call it, I hate the term dead cat bounce, but that's, I think probably what we just saw. Well, corn futures sustained overnight strength and rose to the highest levels in over a week as weather and supply concerns and a sharp drop in the U.S. dollar uh, added support before retracing the day's gains. Dr. Michael Cordonier lowered his Argentine corn crop estimate another million metric tons to 47 million metric tons. That marks the third consecutive week Dr. C trimmed his estimate on heat and dryness. Recent strength in corn futures bolsters idea the market is has set a near-term floor with a drop to three-and-a-half-month low at th- 6.35 on December 7th. Jeez, Joe, I forgot how to read. March corn futures one-half cent lower today, 6.53 and one-half. May corn also down a half cent, 6.53 and a half. July corn futures closed at 6.48 and one-quarter. That one's dead steady on the day. You were elected to lead, not to read, right, buddy? Exactly. Um, Thank you for noticing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it wasn't the best performance in the corn today. I mean, you went up. There's kind of a trend line that comes down in the March corn chart. Kind of went and tagged that, backed off a little bit. I mean, just been a choppy deal for several weeks now, for a while. Volatility's low, just choppy, choppy, choppy. Well, look at that. I I went back to recheck my notes here. March and May, the spread right there is zero both at 653 and one half that's uh, a bit uninspiring extremely exciting extremely exciting soybean futures climbed to near last week's highs overnight on fresh export business and concerns persistent dryness will curb south america's production prospects usda reported a daily sale of 140,000 metric tons of soybeans for delivery to unknown destinations during the 23-24 marketing year With that announcement, USDA has reported nine separate daily sales to China or unknown destinations, totaling 1.966 million metric tons since November 23rd. Dr. Cordonier lowered his Argentine soybean crop estimate, another million metric tons, to 47 million metric tons, with a neutral to lower bias, keeping his Brazilian soybean estimate unchanged. January beans, 19 and one quarter cents higher, 14.79 and three quarters. March beans gained 19 cents, 14.84 and one half. July soybeans closed at 14.91 and three quarters, up 17 and three quarters today, and strength across the entire soybean complex. Joe, yeah, we are most definitely in the midst of a South American weather market when it comes to soybeans. Um, you have Brazil's in good shape, but southern Brazil is dry, and Argentina is very much problematic. They just can't get the crop planted. It's been too dry. They had a little bit of rain over the weekend, but the forecast. Uh, does not look good at all. Corn is not so much in the midst of a South American weather market yet. That's mm. second and larger corn crop in Brazil. They don't plant that until after the first of the year. So it's still kind of a wait and see deal there. But I think that the uh, bean market is is very actively trading South American weather and uh, the Argentina deal in particular. March cotton was 224 points higher at 81.63. On your livestock's February fat cattle futures posted a strong open and climbed to near a three-week high on cash market optimism at a surge in wholesale beef prices, which signaled robust demand. Choice beef cutout values surged Monday to the highest daily average since November 17, hinting at that improved retailer demand. February fat cattle were 25 cents higher, 156.35. April fats 15 cents higher, 160.05. 
January feeders gained 57 and a half cents to close at 184.22 and one half. One might say the, uh, the feeder futures knew it all along. They saw the decline in corn futures today coming from this morning with strength all day long. You know, the cattle market and the strength there is of particular interest to me. There are not a lot of commodities out there right now, Davis, that are like near contract highs or near, say, 52-week highs. But the cattle market is is one of the outliers, and there's a few others. But you've got a, a pretty good story there, fundamentally, I think. Um, the momentum seems to be up. Um, it's it's one of the better-looking commodity markets. You look at some of the other stuff. I mean, you look, look at the energies. I mean, I know, I know crude's up today, but crude oil's at 75 bucks. Right. It was 130 in the spring. I mean, a lot of commodities, most of the grains included, wheat's been the worst, but they've come off the highs real drastically, whereas the cattle market, feeder cattle market, have acted much, much better by comparison. So, I mean, overall, I, I'd say that's a, a pretty good action when you consider that the sector as a whole has just really not been that great. Well, Joe, finally here, ideas. The cash hog market is working on a bottom spurred lean hog futures higher today. Feb hogs, 87 and one half cents higher to 84.57 and one half. And April hogs, 70 cents higher at 91.35. Joe Vaklovic. Thank you very much, Davis. Uh, Joe V filling in here for Chip on AgriTalk. Uh, when we come back, my friend Brian Split from agmarket.net will join us. I've got a whole bunch of questions, everything from inflation to grain marketing to, um, I know I got a long list here, Davis. Uh, we'll be back, guys. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. AgriTalk is brought to you by the Conservation at Work video series. Farmer to Farmer, the Conservation at Work video series features real stories, real successes, real quick. See what's possible at farmers.gov slash conservation. All right, everybody, welcome back to AgriTalk. It's, uh, what is it, Tuesday, December 13th. Joe V filling in for Chip. I know I'm supposed to say something about hit us up on Twitter. I forget what your handle is. It's probably at AgriTalk, I would imagine. So if you have any questions, uh, hash, how about just hashtag AgriTalk? Does that work? B- that Big Apple great. Joe? Yeah, I think it does. Joe, okay. Joe can we yes. have consensus? Do we have consensus? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Joe says go ahead. Who's going to watch yeah, okay. it, though? Hashtag AgriTalk. Just uh, hit us up, guys. We'll, we'll get to it. Chip will see it. Chip will see it. He'll talk about it next week. Oh, fine. Oh, yeah, That'll of course work. he will. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Let's talk about the markets, guys. Uh, we've got my friend Brian Split from agmarket.net with us today. Brian, you there? I am here, Joe. How are you? I'm good, buddy. Um, let's start off with this inflation deal. Did you see the inflation print today? Yeah. So uh, 7.1%, uh, a little, little dovish compared to expectations. Uh, I know yesterday um, there was some chatter from some of the big banks that 
if it came in, you know, 6.9% that we would see the equity trade up as much as 10% today. And there was a lot of uh, big calls and, and we sure got a, a really strong reaction right after the data dropped. The Dow was up almost a thousand points. I think we had the S&P up uh, 150 or so. Uh, but boy, oh boy, I mean, ever since that uh, that first run higher, we've seen these equities really come off the highs rather dramatically. The, the Dow actually traded lower at one point, and it's only up about 70 points right now. So uh, if you if you bought that print, uh, I, I hope you took your profits. Jeez. Yeah, there was a, um, I, actually, I put it out on Twitter. There was like a big trend line on the S&P chart, and they went above there and like, Ransom stops and right back down. So not not the best action in the stock market. Uh, bigger picture, do you think, I mean, do you think inflation's peaked? Do you think it's over? Or is this just a dip or a lull in inflation? Or do you not believe the numbers at all? Um, I'm not here to uh, believe or, or dis just take the, the numbers that we have and work with them. No, no, that's why you're here. That's, uh, why, that's why I had you on. Yeah, so I, I think, uh, <laughs> you know, one of the concerns... Um, is that the the housing stuff is is generally has a, a lag, you know, as much as nine months sometimes. So uh, I think that would suggest that we are uh, entering a more of a deflationary environment. That is what the Fed is trying to do: is to curb inflation and and bring it back down to earth. Um, so if if you are trading commodities from the long side, specifically on the uh, the idea of continued inflation, you are fighting the Fed. So that's just something I think you have to be aware of. I have an I have a handful of interesting statistics here. So we've only got really like a couple of examples in modern times of like big time inflation. So listen to these statistics from the uh, 70s and 80s. Middle of 1972 to late 1974, inflation CPI went from 2.7% to north of 12%. It then went back to 4.9% by 76 and then it was up to 14.8 to nine, by 1980. So like in a course of like eight years there you had like this roller coaster of inflation i have no idea if that means anything for like today but it's it's just interesting to think that like you know you could have like a, a back and forth type deal i don't know yeah and and it wasn't until the late 70s uh i think it was like 79 into 80 it was maybe about a a 14 month uh time frame where the fed uh you know raised rates uh you know what was it a, a 10 or 12 percent increase over that period of time so yeah. Uh, I think you're going to see a roller coaster. Um, I don't know that the Fed can really keep control of what's going on out there. And there's still a lot going on uh, globally. Uh, you know, you, you think about uh, as China reopens, and I don't know how that goes for them, but it's not hard to imagine that um, is, as aggressive as they've been with their stance on COVID, that if they say, all right, yeah, you know what, let's go ahead. We're going to reopen. We're going to be more uh, open to, to letting people travel and, and, um, you know, uh, the quarantine measures are going to be a, a little less strict. Uh, what happens if we do start to see COVID cases really ramp up over there? Uh, then do they come cracking down hard? Do they shut everybody down? Do we, do we go into, you know, uh, lockdown in, in some of these major cities? And I think you could see, uh, uh, where it looks like we're reopening for a little bit. And if, if these if these uh, cases really start to ramp up, especially hospitalizations, uh, because let's remember, uh, they didn't do very well getting a lot of their population vaccinated. And I don't know, you know if, if it makes a difference or not. I mean, it, obviously, we know it doesn't curb transmission, uh, but I, I think there's still that that thought that it that reduces symptoms. Um, and so if we start to see uh, hospitalizations ramp up over there, that could be an, another thing that really takes a, a major impact on on global energy demand. So. You know, that's something that we have to really keep an eye on moving forward. 
When you look at uh, the inflation data today, I think one of the biggest um, <clears throat> impacts was in the U.S. dollar, which is weakened substantially. Now, I don't think personally, just the way I've I've thought about this, I don't know that the dollar has had the biggest impact on the grain markets because we did nothing but rally like together, the dollar and grains, like the first half of the year. And I'm just not seeing the correlation there like I, like I typically do. Uh, are you seeing something different? Do you think that this uh, big sell-off in the dollar, does it matter? Does it not matter? No, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where I did, you know, sometimes market relationships change and, uh, I, I agree with you. I mean, you've had this dollar go up, uh, aggressively and, you know, I think we peaked out on the dollar just shy of, or just shy of 115. Uh, that was back in, in the September timeframe as we were, uh, you know, finishing up the quarter there. Uh, so the, the quarter that we're in right now, the fourth quarter of the year, uh, we've seen the dollar in a rather sharp uh, downtrend, but um, I, you know I, it's hard to say that that's going to be bullish commodities while commodities were rallying with the dollar. Uh, it's just such so, a weird situation. I mean, so you get a situation where there's inflation, right? And inflation is friendly commodities. Commodities rally during inflation because people want to own commodities as an inflation hedge, but then the Fed has to raise rates during inflation. So the dollar goes up. I mean, it's just like something similar actually kind of happened in the early 80s. It's I just, I just don't know if the correlation is what it was. This is like, it's not an anomaly, but we've only seen it like once before. Yeah, I I think, uh, you know, I was sitting down with, uh, with some of the partners here recently and uh, just talking similarities to uh, other years. And, and Bill Biederman has been, in, you know, involved in the industry a lot longer than I have. And um, I think he had brought up, um, you know, obviously how the, the market had traded in, in after the drought of 88. And uh, I think 1974 to 75 was another year that he brought up where, uh, you know, we had, uh, it was right after the, the Russian grain purchases and, and kind of brought the parallel to China, um, you know, on the purchases that they've done recently. And a lot of the assumptions on our demand back then was that we were going to continue to see buying uh, at the same pace or close to it uh, that we had the previous couple of years, and, and it just didn't come to fruition. And so I, I continue to wonder that, you know, when you think about China and how much corn they were buying before COVID, and I know a lot of their their buying has been because they've changed their feed rations due to African swine fever, and and that really um, uh, changed the, the way that they, they feed their hog herd. But do they need to continue to buy corn at the clip that they did in, in 20, you know, mid-2020 up to uh, you know, 2022, well, I don't know that the point. answer to that is yes. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, and so I think that's where we're starting to get caught uh, off guard a little bit on the demand side of things. We saw that on the last report, you know, exports were dropped by 75 million bushels on the, on the balance sheet. And unless we really start to see more purchases, uh, come, um, I, I think you're going to see further revisions lower. And I, I, I'm very well aware that the shipment season for corn is, in front of us, but you got to sell it to ship it, right? Right. That is exactly correct. Uh, let me ask you one question. We got like a minute before the break here. Um, crude oil is up today, but overall has been very soft. Um, two questions, I guess. Are you surprised by how weak the energy complex has been? And then are you surprised that the grains, I guess corn and soybeans, not so much wheat, but are you surprised row crops have held up as well as they have given like what has really been a collapse in the energy markets? Well, I, I think the um, the energy market. I mean, that's what the, these markets do. We, you know, we didn't go quite as high as we went in, in 2008 during that commodity boom. 
Uh, crude oil traded nearly uh, up to $150 a barrel. So we didn't quite get there. But, you know, I mean, one of the first things I learned when I got into the industry was low prices, cure low prices, high prices, cure high prices. And so uh, I don't think it should be a surprise that we've come off of those highs, uh, you know, to the to the tune that we have. I, I think you're going to have very, very good big picture support, maybe some kind of a more of an equilibrium type of a price in the in the maybe the mid 60s on crude oil. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we came down another 10 bucks uh, in early 2023, um, you know, unless there's some kind of an escalation uh, again in, in the Black Sea region with Russia and Ukraine. Um, I, I, I tend to think that right now the trend is down and we're going to need to see some major supportive levels tagged before we start to come back in. And I just don't see, um, you, know, you know, so your other part of your question was as it relates to the grains. Um, we still have some issues in front of us directly related to grains that are providing support. And I think, you know, the best example of that would be what's going on in Argentina right now. Um, and so, you know, it, we're going to have about another 10 days of dryness. Uh, but after that, we're going to need, I think about at, at least an inch uh, in the last seven to eight days of the month to avoid what would be the driest December on record in, in Buenos Aires, Cordoba. And uh, we'll need more than two inches to avoid the driest May through December. So uh, when you have a, you know, a, a production sensitive commodity like grains are, that's what we're dealing with at the moment. Hey, Brian, we're going to run to the break here. Hey, guys, that's Brian Split from uh, agmarket.net. Joe V. filling in for Chip here on AgriTalk on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, we're going to actually talk about some grain marketing related issues in the uh, second segment. So stick around. Uh, we'll be back. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. Time now for news of note from Pro Farmer. South American crop consultant Dr. Michael Cordonier cut his Argentine crop estimates for a third straight week. Eight ships loaded with grain left ports in Ukraine's Odessa region early today. The Ukrainian Grain Traders Union, UGA, has asked the government on Tuesday to ensure electricity to grain facilities to reduce potential damage to stored crops. As expected, Congress is pushing for a one-week extension for more time to get a final omnibus budget for fiscal year 2023. The monthly federal budget deficit widened to $249 billion in November. China has delayed their Central Economic Work Conference meeting after COVID-19 infections surged in Beijing and the European Parliament has agreed to enforce the world's first carbon border tax. Get more at TryProFarmer.com.
Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. We've cleared the schedule for you. Give us a call at 855-482-5524 and join the conversation. Joe Vaklovic, I just want to make sure people have that number. Yes. That's 855-482-5524, followed by the number 4. That's 855-482-5524, followed by the number 4. Joe Vaklovic. I did not, not a, didn't remember one number that you just said. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I'm here. I'm hosting for Chip, guys. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Um, Davis, appreciate the the number salad you just I'm here threw, to help. threw my way. Yeah, that was, I'm, I'm here to help. It was yeah. not helpful to me, at least. Um, anyways, okay, we've got Brian Split from agmarket.net. Brian, we're going to actually talk about grain markets and grain marketing now. Um, okay, let's start off with wheat. Uh, the wheat market kind of sucks. What do you think about it? I do think it sucks. I think, um, <laughs> you know, the the market that uh, I think is, is kind of in control of wheat right now, more or less, is the hard red variety. Yeah. Uh, so that's HR, as Davis would say. That is how he would um, say so, it. That's exactly how. That is how I would say it. Thank you for noticing. <laughs> um, we, we are tracking um, 2008 on hard red wheat pretty, pretty closely. And um, all I can really tell you is that as we progress into 2023, if we find spot values below $8 a bushel, um, then uh, we would then continue to track the 2008, and that would suggest that we will have uh, you know a, a six in front of prices rather rapidly. Um, That's pretty scary. So I think it, it is, um, and so I, I think it might behoove producers, uh, regardless of how you feel about your crop. And I understand that you know the crop does not look good; it's dry, um, and it's not off to a very good start. But uh, sometimes there's other forces in the market besides the, the yields that, that change values of product. Um, and so having uh, a put under the market or some kind of a floor, uh, something to protect values, I don't think is a bad idea. Uh, because uh, if, if we do see that type of a break, uh, it, could, it could be really catastrophic to, to prices. Um, and so I... I'm hopeful that maybe that's not the case and we break the relationship from 2008, but I don't know, the roadmap is there and, and we're still, you know, driving on the same route. And if we stay on that track, it's not going to be good. What you need to do if you're going to try to market a wheat crop is you have to go see a hypnotist and you have to have the hypnotist uh, convince you that the period from like mid February through maybe like early June never happened. And you'd be a lot better off because I think if everybody could just forget that we traded like 10, 11, 12, 13 dollars, um, it would probably help your mentality a little bit. Because everyone's kind of like got this. Well, I missed the boat. I'm not going to do anything now. And that's probably not the probably not the correct way to view this. Yeah, right. The recency bias of prices that we've just seen, um, you know, might convince you that these are, are levels that uh, you should not be selling at. And I don't know day to day whether we should be selling it here or not, but uh, you know, when you think about price levels that we've seen uh, where, where we came from in hard red wheat, uh, you know, that was lows of what, $3.60 a bushel back in 2019. Oh, yeah. It's terrible. Um, so, you know, we're, we're still more than double that. And I'm not saying that those are levels we're going back to. We probably will eventually. Right? I don't know how long it'll take to get back there, but um, you're absolutely right. Just the, the goings on that we had. Uh, in February of 2022, earlier this year, 
I don't I don't see the same type of excitement and uh, it, you know a major event like that to take us back to those levels. Oh, you can never rule out like a Black Sea escalation again, but it just it doesn't appear to be trending that way at all. Um, okay, let's go from like worst to like middle, then best. Let's do corn next. So the corn market, I mean, it's off the highs, but it's still at six and a half bucks. There's still some like weird, weird or good basis uh, stuff going on out in the country. Uh, what's your take there? You know, I, I think... Uh, the basis levels um, in conjunction with the cost of money uh, make me feel like, gosh, you know, not no carry in the market. You're taking a risk there. Uh, money isn't cheap like it used to be. So is, is physical ownership the, the best way to own the crop if you're going to own it? Um, you know, I, I think you could compare the, the, uh, interest on the nominal value of six dollar and fifty cent corn, you know, on top of whatever your basis is, um, and the interest versus, you know, the margin requirement to own a future contract, or the interest on simply spending, you know, maybe twenty or twenty five cents on some type of a call position out to July, if you want to uh, maintain ownership. And one of the things that you had mentioned in the previous uh, segment or, or leading up to our first segment was how the market's choppy, uh, volatility is low, and uh, that makes options a lot cheaper. Um, and so we had corn just a few months ago trading in, you know, volatility levels in the 30, 35%, uh, close to 40 at times. And, and now it's, substan- it's substantially cheaper. Um, and so that makes option ownership and paper ownership look attractive compared to physical. So, you know, maybe your play is, is basis and, and that might be something if you feel very strongly about, then uh, go for it. But I, I think the basis levels right now are nothing to, to thumb your nose at. Okay. So none of this is ever easy, but my personal thought would be that old crop corn marketing is probably not your biggest problem. Like there's, there's so much profitability baked into 2022 corn bushels that haven't been priced. 2023 is probably my area of bigger concern, I guess, if I were a farmer. Um, cost of production is going up again. Your DC 23 board is quite a bit cheaper than your nearby futures. Um, you don't have those crazy basis levels out there. Uh, what are you telling guys for 23? What are your concerns for 23? Um, we're getting, you know, planting's not that far away anymore. It's really not. Um, and so I, I think the producers that we work with, um, if they followed recommendations, they already have, uh, at least half of their bushels that uh, have been covered with $6 puts. Um, that was a recommendation that we put out back in June. Uh, we put it out again in, in October, um, you know, as kind of a, a catch-up uh, um, recommendation for those that didn't do it the first time. And uh, we, a lot of those positions were in March short-dated options uh, because those expire in February towards the end of the month. It's mm-hmm. a Friday. The, mon- the, the Monday, Tuesday are the only other two trading days of the month. So th- for that, your, your spring uh, average price for crop insurance revenue guarantees, that's when we make that average. So we at least wanted to make sure we had a way to hedge that, that revenue guarantee in case something, uh, you know, major change, in case there was a catastrophic move in the futures market uh, where we could at least uh, have, a, you know, half of the crop with a $6 floor implemented. Um, and so we, we've done that, um, recently it's, it's been similar where, uh, maybe the time is right now is to sell, you know, corn at six bucks and, and, uh, you know, have a a call position against that, um, you know, out to summertime, if you want to 
have some upside in case we do have a, a weather event happen. And I, I think 2023 is a concern, but at least as you had mentioned, there's a lot of profitability from the 2022 crop. It's the 2024 crop that could really be the one that um, changes the balance sheet on, on the, on the producer side uh, rather drastically. Why do you say that? Uh, well, because if we, are in an environment right now where the producer doesn't take action to uh, protect high input costs that they've already locked in. Um, and we do see an environment in the next six to eight months where we don't have a weather problem. And I, I obviously, I don't know whether we're going to or not, but if we don't, uh, I think you're going to have a, a tremendous amount of acres planted. If we have good yields on those acres, the balance sheet is going to change uh, moving forward into the uh, the fall time frame where it's going to loosen up quite a bit. Um, and then we're going to be looking at at potential values for the 2024 corn, which, you know, by and large has been hanging around what the, uh, the 570-ish area. Um, you know, just historically, when you look at when we hit these high prices, it's very difficult to sell a year out or two years out looking at where the current futures are versus those markets. Cause we're, you're in an inverted market, but you know, you think back to the drought of 2012 and uh, that was your best opportunity to sell the next several years of crop, uh, even though they were at lower values than where the spot market was. Just and to play devil's time, advocate I think, to that a little bit. Yeah. Um, this brings me back to almost like the first thing we talked about was how inflation could be like a roller coaster. Like the concern I would have, just just to take the other side of it, the concern I would have about doing anything for 24 would be like, okay, what if we are on an inflation roller coaster and inputs are up another 30% by 24? I mean, it's just, it's like scary. It's all scary stuff, you know? It's scary in both directions. I, yeah. I mean, I, I think you can make arguments both ways, why we go up a bunch, why we go down a bunch. Um, and so I, I've become a big believer over the years, if you're going to make major decisions marketing wise, uh, that to back up those decisions with some kind of an option position or, and, and believe me, I don't have anybody going out to 24 and marketing a ton of their corn, but, you know, dabbling a little bit here and there, uh, you know, you'd be surprised what a, a few decent sales at, at 560 or 570 help, you know, your average down the road if we are at four bucks. Um, and so those, those earlier sales may, may help you tremendously. Okay, let's go to best. The soybean markets has probably acted the best of, you know, corn, soybeans, wheat here as of late, at least. Um, we got about a minute. So we're kind of in a South American weather market. Uh, what are you seeing uh, uh, in regard to the South American weather market or anything in addition to that? Uh, right. So uh, Argentina has been the headline. You got, you're going to have uh, another, you know, week plus of dryness. And then it looks like we're going to start to see some moisture come in again uh, as we get into like, uh, Christmas, Christmas Eve timeframe. So uh, if that verifies, then I, I think this, uh, you know, this market's going to come under quite a bit of pressure, especially as we roll into the Brazilian crop. Uh, we can nitpick Mato Grosso. Uh, yeah, they've had you know, a couple weeks of net drying, but geez, I, it's hard to expect the same type of move that we had last year. This time last year, we were what, about four months into a drought in Brazil. Um, and that was the majority of the growing regions. Now we've got a portion of the southern growing regions that have got two weeks of net drying. Hard to get too excited about that right now. Um, we've been really looking at, at providing floors for the NOB 23 contract, especially as we continue to just butt up against $14 over and over. We've been doing it since August. Um, and, and so for the shorter term, hedge, Hey, Brian, we got to cut to a break here. Hey, guys, that's yeah. Brian Split, agmarket.net. Um, Joe V filling in here for Chip. We will be back here on AgriTalk. 
To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. In the morning, you're coffeeed up and you're thinking. In the afternoon... You've calmed down, but you're still thinking. We're here all day. Agritalk. And welcome back to Agritalk, everybody. Your pal, Davis Michelson here. Joe Vaklovic filling in yes. for Chip Flory today. I we am. appreciate you, Joe, from Standard Grain. Joe, it's the holiday yes. season. You're Almost. in a hoop in a hoop-de-doo and a dickery dock and whatnot. I know you're a music fan. Mm-hmm. Um I uh the Agritalk Men of Song have put together a Christmas album, and I've been just sort of featuring some cuts from it. Um, no, who, going, who, who exactly are you speaking about when you say the Agritalk Men of Song? These mysterious musicians that we have on staff, and I'm not sure what they do from day to day, but they do every once in a while provide us with solid gold. I'm not sure if this qualifies as solid gold or not, but I, I would love your educated opinion on their their take on this Christmas class. I'm incredibly excited listen? to hear what you're about to play. Yeah. Would you give it a listen? All right. Yeah, stand oh, by. absolutely. The first motel where I wanted to stay was all booked up with tourists until the next day. Rapid City to all through Kadoka and on until two bright sombreros cast inviting light. Motel, 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 motel. Put down my guitar to sleep. So very, uh, of song. very clearly, Davis. I mean, there's obviously Grammy buzz. Well, you know, the thing is, the guys, I, I and I know when they were working on this clear back in July that they'd been listening to a lot of Johnny Cash. And it, it does seem like there's a little bit of a Johnny Cash influence. I can't quite put my finger on it. I mean, it. I'm hearing, I'm, I'm thinking Grammy buzz uh, when Pitchfork does their review. I'm, I'm imagining <laughs> they never even give it a 10 unless it's Radiohead. 10, nine and a half out <laughs> of 10. Radiohead. <laughs> I would imagine, yeah. I mean, that's the way this is going to go, right? I, I don't know. I hope it goes well for them. They've, they've been, they've worked really hard all year long. Uh, and there are more to come, too. There are. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, get me a ticket to the Grammys when you guys go. Hey, I have a serious question for you. Um, 
Let's fuel prices. You're the you're the fuel farm fertilizer. Yeah. Um, there's a couple other F words I could say about you. Um, but anyway, anyway, anyways, uh, what do you think about fuel prices? Dude, they're coming down. The trajectory is lower. The trajectory is lower, and um, even within you know, there's been debate within our own company about what's going to happen here. Uh, the Doan fellas see a move closer to uh, to four bucks than I do. I just, I just, I don't know what to make of crude oil. Honestly, everybody's that's where bu- I'm everybody's at. bullish, but it won't go up. That's what to make of it. Exactly. That's the thing. And why that is everybody makes bullish? Me a little bit nervous. Why is everyone bullish? Well, there's just so much going on now. It may all go back to China, and I'm not sure I'm I'm buying that either. But if China, if Chinese people start driving again, if they begin consuming crude oil again, okay, then I then I could see a demand increase significant enough to push us up at least closer to eighty, maybe eighty five. But does that put us back at $5 diesel? No. I can tell you, in the short term, my longer term analysis over the last, you know, I've been with this company for, for 10 freaking years. 10 years, bro. I'm not due for a pension. About, cash out. Dude, yeah. I'm telling you. Um, every Christmas, I, <laughs> I call it the, uh, <laughs> the Santa Claus slump into the first of the year. We typically find a really good spot to get some diesel booked between... Uh, about now and the first of the year. So if you've got extra money laying around, you need to do something with for tax purposes, maybe I'm, I'm pretty sure that would work. You know, book out some diesel for next spring if you can get it locked in just because there's there's just so much uncertainty. I mean, Saudi Arabia doesn't feel very friendly to the U.S. at this point. I don't know that they're going to do the one us thing any about favors. The, the one thing about the crude market that's different yeah. than like the grain markets it's the, is that it's so heavily manipulated. Like mm-hmm. I think um, I think OPEC is still very I think that the scar of crude trading negatives is still like it's still like an open wound for them. And mm-hmm. I just I don't think they want any part of that ever again. And I think they're going to make sure it never happens again. So I it, that that's the weird thing about crude is that like they could come out, you know, next week and say, oh, we made some decision or whatever. And it could be right back up. But I mean, it's I think most people are are pretty darn surprised. Not only that, like so gas is cheaper than it was a year ago. National average gas is. Uh, mm-hmm. Diesel's got a way to go, at least on the retail front, and and crude oil. I mean, it gave back all the invasion rally, all that stuff. Yeah, well, and in my local area here, I was driving around yesterday and saw, I couldn't believe it, gas with a two dollar handle. It was like two ninety six or something like that. But still oh, we've had that in my neighborhood for a while now, dude. I'm it's surprised always, that the two key even still works on those things anymore. Yeah, yeah, it it, it feels like it's it's been a while for sure. What about fertilizer? Fertilizers I don't like. Now, when you you guys were talking about, well, and I think it was just a let's throw a number out there, a 30% rise in fertilizer prices. I, I'm pretty sure that was not a prediction from either you or Brian. No, Split. no, no, no. But just suppose it goes, you know, ridiculously higher. I don't know. This week we're we're rolling real close to 1500 bucks for anhydrous mm-hmm. in Iowa and Illinois, according to USDA. And again, you know, if we're looking at the last two years, which is when fertilizer really went nuts, we've seen a couple of moves up towards 1600 a short ton in that same data set. And that does seem to be proving some form of price resistance, whether retailers become resistant at that point or whether the end user becomes resistant at 1600. Um, I don't see us coming down. I'm hanging my hat on 1600, maybe 165 as 
as high as it will go before there are ramifications for the retailer and they can no longer sell. Could you have ever imagined talking about those numbers like three years ago? I mean, well, when I when I first started at Pro Farmer back in 2012, we were at twelve hundred dollars. Yeah, that's true. There and was then that. we sank was... all the way back down to like I think one week it might have hit three eighty something. Yeah. So it's been a roller coaster. Yeah. So I guess it has happened before. Guys, thank you for uh, tuning in today. Joe V filling in for Chip. Uh, tomorrow, uh, you guys have let's see. Davis is guest host. You will be joined by economist Dr. Vince Malanga. I think I'm saying that's that right. The guy. Of the Sal Economics plus the Farmer Forum. When what's the Farmer Forum again, Davis? Uh, that's where we all sit around in a coffee coffee house and we talk about our feelings we share our aspirations and dreams sounds great send me a summary Uh, have a great tuesday guys (laughs) catch you later